0: Welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast by the Ellen McCarr Foundation, where we go behind the stories of a circular economy. And welcome back to part two of our series, recounting the foundation's recent Innovation Day event at the Roundhouse. Giving out the best parts, the highlights. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Jules.
1: Yes, I am happy to have made it to the second episode. Let's see if I'm still around for three and four. Um, We are recounting, reminiscing, if you will, the highlights from our event that was back at the end of March, where we really shone a spotlight on circular economy innovation, the impact, where it's happening and also how to scale it.
0: So last week we zoomed in on food and those benefits uh, to biodiversity, reversing biodiversity loss, mitigating climate change. This week we're focused on a place that I it's close to your heart, I'm sure, Jules. It's your day-to-day and where there's real signs of circular economy innovation happening a lot.
1: We're talking about fashion and specifically a topic that I love. Fundamentally, rethinking business models. We're trying to eliminate waste unlock environmental benefits, and crucially, support businesses to make money without making more clothes. We're going to dive into real examples and thinking about what's the signal, but what's the noise?
0: And we'll be hearing from Brittany Burns from Fashion for Good. We'll be hearing from Dunia Woon from Vestia Collective, a resale app that's valued at over a billion dollars. And a little later on, we'll be hearing about something very different, very different, Jules.
1: Nice plug there, keeping everyone on the edge of their seat. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to hear from Ashita Cabra-Davis from ByRotation, who's speaking to our colleague from the fashion team at the foundation, Marilyn.
2: So Ishita, please tell us more about By Rotation, which is a peer-to-peer fashion rental app. So what is it? Yeah, so by rotation, we're the world's first social network where you can lend and rent designer fashion with each other. So you can save money, you can make money if you're lending out your own wardrobe. Um, You can make new friends because you end up following a woman. um, It's mostly women right now in the app, but guys, please do list your items as well. Um, You can find fashionable women to follow and repeat rent from. And thirdly, you're saving the planet because you're not buying new items. And lastly, obviously, you're dressing in fabulous ways like these dresses that you can see behind me. Perfect. Um, So is that why you chose that model, like really community-focused model? Yeah, I think I'm really passionate about the sharing economy. It's all about being very resourceful. Um, And I think the way that we're approaching fashion rental is very different from all the incumbents. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of inventory, whether it's buying or managing or brands sort of fulfilling orders. For us, we're telling you that there's enough clothing out there in our wardrobes. So on the app, uh, which we launched two and a half years ago, we actually just announced our seed fundraise this morning on Business of Fashion. Um, So we have over 200,000 registered users in the UK, uh, 25,000 listings worth 10 million in retail value. Again, none of which we own, so we don't have to worry about obsolescence or people wasting too much. Perfect, so to date, what what is your economic and environmental impact? So we've got really cool features on the app. Uh, when you do a checkout, you see a positive savings calculator. So you can see your environmental savings in terms of textile waste, um, Yeah, maybe it'll show up on the screen. Um, Water waste and also carbon dioxide waste. Uh, And that's something that we've built in-house, although we would love to talk to Ellen MacArthur Foundation about validating that. Uh, And then the other cool thing that we've done, very much like a social network, is you can see how much money you've made on the app ever since you start listing, and also how much you've saved on the app ever since you start renting. So you can see your economic savings as well from using the app. Great. So it's a fully transparent app, I guess, for both a seller and lender. Okay. So fast forward 5 years, where do you see yourself and by rotation? So we definitely want to go global. It's a very scalable business model. You know, we don't have any centralized or even decentralized location for that matter when it comes to holding or managing inventory and fulfilling orders. Um, it's really all about having local communities everywhere. And I think what's been really interesting when we look at the data and analytics of what's being rented, we know that in different geographies there will be a different product and brand mix. Um, so yeah, we really want to share that with the customers themselves so they become much more conscious of their consumption. But yeah, we position ourselves to be the next Vinted, Depop or Vestia, if that helps give you an idea of what we are. We just heard
1: from By Rotation and they are an example of a wider trend of circular business models. And these represent an opportunity for better and different growth for the fashion industry, which could potentially unlock greenhouse gas savings and also a pretty massive market opportunity that's estimated to be worth 700 billion US dollars by 2030.
0: And rental is just one example of a new kind of business model alongside resale, repair, remaking. Next up, I chat to Dunia Vone from Vestiaire Collective. And my first question to her as a startup that's gone from zero to over a billion dollar valuation in a fairly short period of time was what's behind that rapid growth?
3: Actually, I think first today we can say that Vestiaire is a pretty strong company with, um, the, with being the first luxury platform on a global scale. But let, let's go back to 13 years ago. It was just the idea of answering to a simple issue. What are we doing with the 70% of our wardrobe unworn? So those six founders started in Paris in France and then expand slowly in Europe and then US and APAC. I guess one of the key One of the key, sorry, challenge was to digital this sector and then also enable a community of today 15 million members to connect and to have this giant world warb across the world.
0: All good things start in Paris. But um, I guess what your your platform is doing is it's connecting kind of supply and demand right yes people who are not using clothes with people who can use those clothes now it should be said that resale isn't automatically circular what how does circular economy play into your business
3: Yes, circular economy for us is not just being a virtuous uh, business model as Vestiaire, but if you want to close the loop on Vestiaire, it's first with the consumer, so not just buying and selling, but really buy and sell, and that's how we want to change the way people consume faster, and is exactly when you do both. Then also, I, I guess it's also how now we bring circularity within brands that are historically a linear business model with new project but I will talk talk to you uh, about about later. Trade
0: I'm <laughs> I'm just the <a> humble <laughs> receiver of information.
3: And then also it's how we trigger this systemic change by lobbying and working with like the EMF, the World Economic Fashion, uh, the World Economic Forum, so, sorry. Um, yes, I guess it's everything that we can do from our consumer to the bigger ecosystem.
0: I really liked what Brittany from Fashion for Good was saying um, a moment ago Where she was saying kind of many of the people in this room, and indeed you, are the first people to be doing some of the things that are happening. And of course, new businesses, new models, new innovations create a whole set of new challenges. One of the things that I was thinking about with Vestiaire Collective is in some ways, unlike a... Uh, a linear fashion business, you now have this need to create both supply and demand for your platform. I guess that's a kind of challenge.
3: That's the beauty and also the challenge because, yes, we have to have the supply in order to answer the demand. So, for instance, you have markets uh, like Germany when you have lots of buyers, and in Italy, lot of sellers. But if we want to really go and move forward, you, we need to have more local supply and consumer. So Brexit was a good example of that. Sorry. Yeah. Brexit was a good example because the consumer in UK would have been completely cut off the rest of Europe and the rest of, of the world. Otherwise, it would have been really, really, lots of money to just buy an item on Vestia. So we managed to have this operational um, center directly in the UK, and also a tech improvement for people in UK to see the supply from UK first. So we show we are able to showcase today the the supply locally, and I guess it's a good example for us to align our business with with the planet and continue to improve, shutting the transportation, cutting uh, the transportation and, and take Brexit as an example, actually. But,
0: um, yeah, I mean, that's fascinating, by the way, that I wonder what it's about Germans where they want to have pre-owned clothes and Italians that they're trying to get rid of their clothes. Anyway, let's... let's we've only got two minutes left, so let's yeah. go into a different conversation. Just very, very quickly, um, what, you know, there's a technical challenge to... Um, Getting a supply of reused clothes. What's the kind of? Is there are there any kind of communication challenges in terms of creating the customer demand for it, or is that kind of just happening?
3: No, I guess when you have a desirable catalogue and when you have the fashion never comes first, but yeah, of course we're investing in marketing to find new consumer and also to give like new. Um, new supply and new desirable item. the uniqueness of uh, our catalogue make the people come at first on, best, on best year. So we have the fashion lover but now we want to really reach out to a larger community and I guess now in the consumer but I think generally we have this driver of sustainability and sustainability behaviour into our consumption that is increasing and it's a uh, Good business for us.
0: One of the advantages I think circular economy innovators like yourself have is they end up in a sort of data centre position. Like you're obviously, Vestiaire is a marketplace, so you're kind of finding out what people are prepared to pay for certain clothing, and that becomes really valuable information for the rest of the sector. Um, And I guess it's really interesting moving forward. I wondered in 60 seconds whether you could tell us a bit about what's kind of next or on horizon for Vestiaire beyond your um, impressive growth so far.
3: Yeah, I guess one of the things that we succeed doing is knowing the price of an item after the boutique. And it's something that the brand doesn't know really about. They do all the upstream, but then when it goes out, you don't know how much value is behind your item. So we're trying to today bring that to the to the brand with Resell as a service is us sharing data and expertise on second hand. But also how we work on digital ID and digital innovation. So one of the blockers for people to enter secondhand platform is the listing and the time you spend listing your items. So for instance if you would buy this shirt and have all the information and just list it on the platform in three, four, five seconds. I guess it's a More like it came, up, do it. yeah, big game changer for consumer.
0: So we've heard a story there of scale, a story of how when you innovate in one part of the system, reselling old clothes, you suddenly have all these questions like how do we generate the supply as well as the demand for our products? And we talked with Dunia about some of the enablers that are needed to help an organization, a company like Vestiaire, to continue to grow and thrive.
1: And thinking about those questions, you know, just because you've called something resale or rental it doesn't actually mean it's automatically circular. So these models have got a lot of potential, but we don't always see the economic or environmental benefits actually coming through. So we had the chance to speak to Brittany Burns from Fashion for Good. And the first question we asked was, what do you see this future fashion system looking like?
4: I'm Very biased, right? At Fashion for Good, we believe innovation is the key driver to really shift the industry forward. Um, What we do is we sit at the intersection working with pioneering entrepreneurs that have ambition and vision to execute on a different potential future, and by pairing them with the industry to make this possible at scale. Um, So I think when we look to the future, there's you know, also important to build on the work that we talked about that you guys have done is there's not going to be a silver bullet, you know, newsflash, right? There is no kind of magic wave that's going to make it overnight. Um, It's very much more of a... Uh, almost like a quilt like there are different solutions at different parts of the value chain that come together that really have that impact overall. Um, so yeah, no no silver bullet, uh, but definitely a lot of exciting solutions that you guys are seeing um, and hearing from today that will come together to shape that future.
1: Amazing. And You just mentioned scale, and actually mm-hmm. there's lots of different ways you can think about scale, yeah. but how do you think about scale from a circular business model perspective in fashion?
4: So perhaps scale might be the word of the day. Um, You know, we say quite a lot. Um, But I think the main thing, if you look at it from a very, uh, you know, plain, what is scale? It's to reduce the operational complexities. It's to um, really grow in a market. So what we do is there's two different ways I think that we could look at scaling activities. So the first is on an organization specific. So Um, One of the frameworks that we used, we borrow from um, NASA Space Agency and then we use technical readiness levels. So we try to find startups that are in kind of this sweet middle ground. Um, It's a scale of one to nine, one being an idea, Mm -hmm. nine being commercially viable. Uh, And we look for folks that are in like the four to five range where it's the product development. So proof of concept is done. It's the product development that we get involved with. We help pair them with customers, whether it's industry or consumers, with investors, with bespoke support to then get them further up that scale to a nine. Um, so that's on an individual uh, innovation basis. And then I think it's also again, building on the work of EMF, looking at the uh, wider system. So what are we doing? Uh, with the products. Are we building products to be utilized for a longer period of time, increased valorization? Are we? Uh, what, what's the system look like? Have we mastered the reverse logistics? Are we putting resources there? It's capital intensive. Uh, and then last but not least, are we reducing the friction from consumers so that they can engage and are incentivized to interact in this new way, this new behavior?
1: And when we start to think about these new models, you know, you hear a lot about the economic potential, the environmental benefits that you can unlock. But we've also seen that it's not always the case that those are actually achieved. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with organizations on this and what's the advice you give them to actually be able to tap into those?
4: Yeah, so, you know, it's often said you don't know what you don't measure, but a lot of this stuff is new. Um, so there's a couple of ways to look at it. The first is we've had quite a few partners introduce environmental profit and loss statements. So finding out ways to quantify the environmental impact of their operations, um, that's helpful on one side. Obviously that has to happen on the innovator side as well if we're looking at life cycle assessments or you know putting numbers behind what's going on. I think I also would be remiss if I didn't say to the the group here today is, the numbers are never going to be perfect. You're never going to have all the information. You're never going to be able to perfectly model it. So it's being okay with a bit of ambiguity and taking the risk and learning from that. So um, Monday, we had a call with quite a few of our partners and we were reflecting and And one was sharing that they use a third party to, do, to empower their um, donation and You know, you essentially send items in to donate, whether it's that brand or not, and then you're incentivized as a consumer, you receive a coupon or a voucher. Um, And they found out that this actually was a really lucrative customer acquisition channel for them. That was not planned, you know, that was not the main reason why they did it, Uh, but this opened their eyes to, oh, this is a potential, there's growth here, and it actually is more economical for them to double down in that than do Facebook ads, right? Who would have thought? Um, so there are these things that you're gonna learn just by sheer act of doing over time that the numbers are never gonna tell you. And then also back to that, ideally we get to a stage where uh, you, know, you have a voucher and you go on and you're not buying new materials, you're buying the secondhand materials that are available that are pre-loved. Um, so I think that's really illustrative of it's a journey, there's not a quick fix and you kind of start to chip away slowly. Um, yeah.
1: Amazing. Well, we've only got time for one yeah. more
4: question. Okay, it's
1: quite quickly. But you mentioned, you know, you're taking these organizations, yep. trying to go from this one to nine, and you're in the four or five, and there's lots of different levers yeah. to pull. Thinking about the investment, you've mm-hmm. said that, you know, concept is proven. So what does that look like at that
4: stage and what do they need? Yeah, so investment. I mean, in the fashion space, it's been relatively nascent. I mean, we've been around for five years. We've done our own investments. We have an investor network. Um, There's a lot more funds, especially coming from the climate side, that are interested in playing. I think it's also helpful to remember that, you know, when you look at the spend of R&D in other industries, I mean, pharmaceutical, right, it's like 15% of turnover goes to R&D. In automobile, it's quite high. I think in um, hardware, software, it's like 10%. In fashion, it's less than 1%. It's not a normal muscle. It's not... Um, part of the the way of working. Um, But there is the capacity and the energy going. And I think that's actually really evident. I was reflecting last night after our workshop, the fact that probably most of the people at our session yesterday are the first ones in their role. Um, This is new, right? But you're seeing that additional resources are being thrown behind it, which is really inspiring. And that's showing investing, not only from the industry, but then the capacity building that's required to make the business case of why this is a good idea. So we're very hopeful.
1: So what we've been seeing and hearing is that the circular business model market in fashion is growing really fast, but it's clear that more action is needed to unlock the benefits.
0: Okay, Jules. So one of the things that I found interesting about that collection of stories, and I am conscious, that I'm at risk of, you're the fashion guru in this podcast duo, that I'm at risk at like aggravating you slightly (laughs) with my comment. But what I, um, you know, what I observe there is that if you want inspiration that, customers will move to these new business models. You don't have to look very far. Like there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of different business models being adopted. All of these sectors are growing very, very fast. The customer demand for better solutions is there, right?
1: You're absolutely right. The customer demand is there. There's lots of options out there for them to also be able to make different choices that enable them to keep using their products that they love or resell them or actually never even own them in the first place and rent them. So what we're also seeing, though, is a lot of learning where customers are, how do customers interact with these models and what works and what doesn't. And, you know, a lot of these startups kind of iterating fast based on that feedback.
0: And I guess it's worth saying that even though it sounds big, a billion dollars, and it's kind of like a startup milestone to become a unicorn. It doesn't mean that resale is the dominant form of how we access our fashion today. Like, actually, we have trouble with understanding how massive sectors like the fashion sector are in terms of just volume of stuff flowing through the economy.
1: And the reality is, the offerings in the end will probably be a blend depending on where you live. Do you live in a city? Uh, What kind of product are you accessing? So there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution, one-size-fits-all secular business model, either for an organization or us if we're buying and using garments.
0: So we need to keep innovating. When I say we, fashion industry people, need to keep innovating. And that leads us on to our final segment, of this podcast, which I teased at a start. It's a, it's a kind of, we're touching on a topic here that at least to me, to me, mm-hmm. feels slightly weirder. You spoke on stage with Diana Armini from the h H&M Foundation and Josephine Olson from Accenture about a virtual fashion collection.
1: I mean, this might sound counterintuitive Sounds to like some. Sounds like the emperor's
0: new clothes.
1: <laughs> because you can't buy this collection. So this is the H&M billion dollar collection, fashion collection that you can't buy anywhere. And that's actually why we started by asking Diana, why is this a game changer?
5: Well, the billion dollar collection was a campaign where we wanted to raise awareness of the role of sustainable innovation and the importance to be able to scale them to reach the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. So the price tags that are included in this campaign is actually the gap in funding for them to be able uh, to scale. And each garment represents an innovation and a startup um, that has previously been part of our annual innovation challenge, Global Change Award. Um, And over the years, we have received more than 20,000 entries from all over the world uh, and learned a lot from the entrepreneurs and innovators. Uh, And the funding gap, I mean, we support early stage, with a grant, with an accelerator programme, but then there's a gap Mm. until they're ready to kind of scale big time. Uh, So we wanted to show the opportunity and also the risk if we don't support these innovations to be able to reach our goals.
1: Amazing. And actually, Josephine, I wanted to bring you in here because Diana just mentioned those innovations. I believe there were 10. What was your role in helping identify those?
6: Yeah, so Accenture have collaborated with h H&M and Foundation for many years now around the, the Global Change Award as such. And then in this specific initiative, the billion dollar collection, uh, one of the roles that we were playing was to do what we call a 360 degree uh, value analysis, which is all about articulating and quantifying the holistic and, and multidimensional value that these 10 innovations then can bring if they get the, the support they need to scale until 2030. Uh, And we looked at a quite broad spectrum of different KPIs and and value drivers. Uh, such as how they can improve customer experience or increase efficiency across the supply chain or environmental sustainability like CO2 and and water. And what we really saw was that there's no small gains. Uh, Just to give one example, like one of the innovators have the potential to reduce water consumption in production with more than 5,000 billions of litres of waters. So there's really a huge potential that is there on on the table.
1: That's amazing. And actually, you mentioned these innovations. You just mentioned 20,000 innovations. I mean, it seems like there's not a lack of innovation, but actually it might be the investment that's the challenge here. I'm wondering, since you launched the Billion Dollar Collection, what's the most exciting thing you've seen in that kind of investment ecosystem?
5: Well, some of them actually got access to funding, which okay. is, of course, great. But I also think there's other value within this, um, within this campaign. Of course, the exposure as such, and also the material that we created. Many of them have said that this is so great, we can use it in dialogues with you know, brands, suppliers, peers, investors. Um, and also, I mean, being part of, of this network of different uh, actors is also a great value for the innovators of of
1: course that's amazing, and actually you know you've got two different organizations working together here. You brought this vision to life it's very creative. I heard you also worked with some people from Hollywood to make this a reality. Is that true yeah, it was actually I mean it, <laughs>
5: Unexpected collaborations, we have heard about the importance. It's, it truly is. Uh, sometimes it's complicated, but it's absolutely worth it. So, in this particular campaign, it was designers like doing it from uh, sketches to 2D to 3D, and then the special effects of the avatar was done by a, a company who normally does like special effects for Game of Thrones and so on. And then, of course, I mean, your um, analysis and our work. So, uh, it was not the easiest campaign that. We have ever uh, done, but it was definitely worth it.
1: Amazing. And actually, like thinking there about the technology, we often hear how crucial technology is as an enabler in this transition. Could you maybe share a bit about that in this project?
6: Absolutely, so I think the the billion dollar collection is actually a great example of how technology can really play a role in that acceleration and maybe even from two different angles. Like, First of all, we of course have the the tech innovations that are featured in the collection as such, where we have solutions like uh, new biotech materials or traceability solutions based on RFID technology or 3D scanning solutions. Uh, But then I think it's also quite interesting to look at the role of technology in in the campaign and in the communication uh, itself, Um, because many of these innovations, they are really early stage and they are very disruptive. And it can sometimes be a challenge to really communicate and get people to understand that full value potential. And so what we did in this initiative was to leverage technology like CGI and, and digital twin to help visualize what that future can look like and, and work with storytelling. And, and we truly believe that like seeing is believing. Uh, and we, with this, we could really like spark people's imagination and, and help people to understand what the possible future could look like if we take action now.
1: And you've been really creative, right? Playing with a different almost type of creativity within the fashion industry. If you took yourself forward, say two to five years, you know, what do you hope to have achieved? And do you hope the billion dollar collection is not even needed anymore?
5: I think my hope is that we will be able to create a kind of ecosystem where we define our different roles when it comes to funding for us within philanthropy. I mean, we are able to take the early stage risk and absorb that that many other actors are not able to take. And then now we have a gap and I think that brand suppliers and many other actors um, need to find ways to support so we don't lose these innovations on the way until they are big enough for, for like scaling big and the investors come in. So I think we need to kind of identify our roles and also start to collaborate much much more than we do today. So, we just heard more about that virtual collection,
1: but thinking about all the different stories that we've been hearing, the reality is that circular economy innovation is happening in a lot of places in the fashion sector. And it's just one example of how these types of models can be better for business and better for the environment.
0: Well, what really sticks out to me is it's also got to be better for the customer. It's got to be a better proposition at the end of the day. And I don't mean, what I mean by that is to say, like, we've got to design good stuff. Can't expect people to buy stuff or engage with stuff just because it's better for the environment and it's good for your business. It also has to be, like, desirable. Um, these have And that's a huge innovation challenge, and it's why innovation is so important. I mean, you're nodding there, Jules. Are you okay with that?
1: Yeah, I'm, I am okay with it. It's true because we're talking about giving Customers, different access, different experiences, maybe personalization, customization, thinking about emotional durability. So designing so that they want to use these products longer, as well as physical durability so they can actually, you know, cycle through these different types of models. There's lots of different ways that actually customers can get a more unique experience thinking about these models.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, there's no innovation without failure.
1: We heard that on stage as well.
0: We did hear that on stage. And I think that's really important. And to some degree, innovation should be uncomfortable. Like, I don't really know how I feel about a virtual fashion collection. But that's great that's that kind of the that's the joy of innovation next talk about feeling uncomfortable next time in this podcast we are in this series we are going to be highlighting another example of how and of where and how circular economy innovation is happening today exploring the emergence of new regenerative materials how to go from concept to practice with something like regenerative and what it will take and mean what scale will mean in this new field
1: and in this episode, we'll feature Liz Corbin, Alicia Gamalevich from Materium, as well as Julia Marsh from Sway and Ehab Saeed from Biome.
0: So make sure you tune into that one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever of the channels you're listening to us on. That means you'll get notified every time the Foundation publishes a new podcast and you'll catch the next episode of this series.
1: See you there.